So today we're going to read Psalm 19, which in the, Bi- uh, the Church Bibles is on page 456. I'll just give you all a minute to turn to that. The law of the Lord is perfect. To the choir master, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and, like a strong man, runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward." Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Thank you, Charlie. Let's pray as we come to look at that passage together. Our Lord, our rock and our redeemer, we pray for your help as we look at this uh, psalm. Father, please will your word be sweet to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The book, The Hitchhiker's Guide to Galaxy, begins with uh, an alien destruction demolition crew appearing to demolish the earth to make way for a hyperspatial express route. And as they announce this news over the Tannoy system to the inhabitants of the Earth, that in two minutes or so, the Earth will be demolished, they notice that there's a certain uh, panic and distress amongst the citizens of the Earth. And so they say over the Tannoy system, there's no point being surprised about it. All the planning charts and demolition orders have been on display in your local planning department in Alpha Centauri for 50 of your Earth years, so you've had plenty of time to lodge any formal complaints. What do you mean you've never been to Alpha Centauri? It's only four light years away. I'm sorry, but if you can't be bothered to take an interest in local affairs, that's your own lookout. It's completely unreasonable. Technically, they have communicated in the way that they are supposed to do, um, but the inhabitants of Earth have no way of getting to Alpha Centauri, the the local star. They um, didn't know that aliens even existed. And so it's completely unreasonable that um, they'd be expected to know this. Is God like that? Is God technically communicating, but actually not in a way that is totally inaccessible? Is God being unreasonable in bringing judgment? We can sometimes think so. As the, uh, the title of a very helpful book says, If I was God, I'd make myself clearer. And perhaps we can think, about that, uh, think like that sometimes. But the Bible actually says otherwise. That actually God has made himself plain. And this psalm discusses that. Now, this is a song. It's not meant to be an exhaustive philosophical proof of the existence of God. It's a song. It's meant to be sung. 
And it's particularly meant to be sung by believers. But let's work our way through this song. Um, we'll, we'll look at it in three sections. And I see what God is saying about how he's revealed himself and how we need to respond to that. So first of all, we see in verses 1 to 6, we're told to see God's glory. See God's glory. Verse 1 tells us the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. So actually the very sky itself is showing us, is proclaiming, preaching to us the greatness, the glory, the majesty, the beauty of God. And it's showing us his, his handiwork, it's showing us his craftsmanship, the, the care with which he has created, the detail with which he has done so. If we ever uh, uh, attempted to question God, well, we can look up to the sky and see the glory of God being preached to us. And this is a constant revelation. It happens, verse 2, day to day, pours out speech. It's as if the heavens cannot contain themselves. It just, it's just bubbling forth from them, day after day. And at night time, when the sun hides, suddenly we get a completely different testimony, don't we? We see all those stars. If it wasn't for the night, then up until recently, we'd have had no idea that all those stars exist. But we can look up at the night sky, although apparently we're losing 10% of our visibility every year. But we can still look up at the night sky and get a sense of how awesome God is, of God's handiwork. It's a constant revelation, but it's also it's a silent revelation, verse 3. There is no speech. There are no words. There's no voice being heard. It's a visual representation. It's what we see. It doesn't come through, um, uh, through a voice. And it's a universal revelation. It's one that goes throughout the earth. Verse 4, their measuring line goes out, or their voice goes out through all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. This is something that has gone throughout the earth. There is no one on earth who can't look up and see the sky. Who can't look up and see the heavens. Who can't hear the heavens proclaiming the glory of the Lord. And in verse 4 to 6, the psalmist centers particularly on the sun. So the heavens are great, but what is particularly amazing about the heavens is the sun. The sun that is the source of, of all life, nearly all life on earth. That, is the, um, uh, that, that um, brings light to the earth, that makes a difference between light and day. He says that the heavens are like a tent that, that, that God has created to put the sun in. And, and the sun is like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, verse 5. It comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, which probably doesn't mean a lot to us um, in our modern context, but in, in the ancient world, that would have been the start of the wedding. The bridegroom, on the, the morning of his wedding, would have spent time getting ready, getting dressed up in all his splendor. The guests would have waited outside for him, and then he emerges from his chamber looking uh, amazing. And that's a picture that we have. That, that's what we see in the beauty of a sunrise, the bridegroom emerging from his chamber. It's why people get up early, don't they? To go and actually look at the sunrise, to see this amazing sight of the sun proclaiming the glory of God every morning. And the sun runs like a strong man, runs its course with joy, like a warrior running. I guess in the ancient world, people, we run for fun today, don't we? You see people running all the time just, just for fun, for exercise. But you don't get that so much in other cultures. But, but people that do run are warriors. Uh, running uh, to keep running to battle and running and exulting in their strength and their power. And the sun is like a warrior traveling through the sky, 
with joy, rising from one end of the heavens and making its circuit to the very other ends. Nothing is hidden from its heat. Nothing is hidden from this constant reminder of the glory of God. Creation reveals God's glory to us. Now, this is something that is not it is there, but it's not always seen. It's not always heard. There's a difference between something being said or proclaimed and something actually being heard. You can see that with um, dog walkers in the park, can't you? They, they proclaim the name of their dog, but is it heard? So that's a, it's audible, but is it heard? It's a different thing. God's glory is, is, is there to be seen in creation. It's being proclaimed, but it's not always heard. Romans 1 verses 18 to 20 tell us, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. God has made his existence plain in creation. But as human beings, we have suppressed that truth. We deny that truth. We refuse to see it. The New Testament also tells us in the book of Romans that as well as making God's existence plain, God has shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. That has gone out to the ends of the world. In fact, Paul uses this very psalm to make that point in the same way that the Son proclaims the glory of the Lord. In the same way in verse 4, is it verse 4 or verse 3? Um, I'll, read, I'll read the passage from Romans and then you can tell me. Uh, Paul says, Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. It is verse 4. So Paul is saying that just as the Son proclaims the glory of the Lord, so the glory of the Lord is being proclaimed as the gospel has gone out to the ends of the world. Now obviously there's, there's an element of exaggeration there. Not everyone has heard the gospel. But many, many people have. Throughout the earth, God's glory has been proclaimed as the Gospels have been preached. But God, as as Christians, God has given us eyes to see. Eyes to see that glory, faith to receive that Gospel message. And so as we see God's glory, and especially on on a beautiful day like this, we should look and give praise and honor to God. Sometimes when we get bogged down in what's going on in our week, we just need to lift our eyes and look at the sky and see the heavens proclaiming the glory of our God and give praise and worship to him. See God's glory. But then we're told to hear God's words in verses 7 to 11. There's quite an abrupt change in the psalm from the glory of God being preached in creation to the law of the Lord. Uh, there's a move from this, uh, the, the, the word God in verse 1, which is a kind of a vague word for deity, to the very personal name of God in verse 7. That, that phrase, the Lord, is Yahweh, the name that God revealed to his people, his covenant name of his people, that gets repeated over and over in these verses. And there's a move from the kind of the glory and the power of God that's on display in creation to God's moral will what he wants from his people, which is revealed in his, his word. As we see the power of God in creation, how should we live? Well, God speaks to us and gives us his teaching to show us. And these verses describe that teaching of God to us. Verse 7 tells us that, that it is perfect and sure, the law of the Lord is perfect. The testimony of the Lord 
is sure. It's perfect and sure. It cannot be improved on. It cannot be supplemented. It doesn't need to be added to. What God has revealed to us in his word, that is perfect, it is sure. And as such, it revives the soul and gives life. It gives life to us, it revives our soul by making wise the simple. All of us are are those who need to hear God's wisdom. And God's word gives that to us. And Paul in uh, 2 Timothy tells us that um, it, it makes us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The sacred writings, the word of God, the law of the Lord, points us to Jesus and makes us wise so that we can be saved in him. Verse 8 tells us that it brings rejoicing, it brings joy. It, it literally, it makes your eyes light up, enlightening the eyes. I wonder if that's been your experience of God's word. Now we need to be a bit careful here because I think, I suspect there'll be two groups of people, well there'll be lots of different groups of people in the church, but for simplicity's sake we'll, we'll just say two. There'll be, there'll be readers and there'll be non-readers. There'll be people who just love reading. And if you pick up a, a work of a kind of classic English literature book, you, you open that and you go, oh, this is so well written. I'm really enjoying it. Real pleasure from reading this. Um, and so if, when you, you come to, you, to, to read the Bible, you might have that same experience. Actually, this is a really well written piece of literature. Lots of different kinds of literature. The stories, and, and I, I enjoy the poetry, and, and I enjoy engaging with some of the trickier things like Revelation. It's just, there's just a pleasure in reading it. But then there'll be others who are not readers. It's just not your thing. You have other things that are your thing, but reading isn't, isn't your thing. And so if you pick up a classic piece of English literature, you read a couple of pages, and you have no idea really what it's talking about because you can't really concentrate on it. It just doesn't grab your interest. And when you come to read the Bible, you can find it hard going and difficult. And so maybe you don't know the pleasure. And, you come, and, and when you hear what they're saying here about bringing joy, it's like, well, what's that about? Well, actually, the danger with both those groups is, that, is of actually making the same mistake. That the joy, the rejoicing that's being talking about here is not the joy that simply comes from reading a piece of literature, but rather the joy, the rejoicing that comes from actually responding and living out God's teaching. That's what it's talking about. And so verse 9, it talks about the fear of the Lord. Throughout the rest of these verses, there have been different words for the the law of the Lord, the word of the Lord, the the testimony, the, the commandment. But verse 9 uses the phrase, the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is just a way of talking about living God's way, living in reverence and obedience to him. Because actually, there isn't really um, a significant difference between God's word and living it out. They're both supposed to go together. To to hear God's word, to read God's word, is meant to cause us to live God's word. And that's where the joy is. That's where the rejoicing comes. James tells us, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. And we saw in John chapter 13 a couple of weeks ago, didn't we, that Jesus said, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. The blessing comes not from knowing what Jesus wants, but from actually doing what Jesus wants. So if you're someone that enjoys reading and you get pleasure just from the act of reading the Bible, that's great, but don't stop there. The the aim is to live it out. The real joy comes from living it out and obeying God what God has said. And if you're someone who finds it hard going to read the Bible, well, don't give up. You need to persevere. You need to read it so that you can live it out and find the real joy in living and worshipping at God who is speaking to us. 
It brings joy. But it's also something that verse 9 tells us is enduring forever, is true, and is righteous. What God is teaching us, what God is telling us, can be depended on. It's true, and it endures. It's not going to change. That's not always the case with the, the advice that we're given, is it? How many units of alcohol is it safe for us to drink? Well, it keeps changing, doesn't it? It keeps going down. New research comes out which, which causes the official advice to be changed. How many pieces of portions of fruit and veg are we meant to eat every day? Well, if you live in this country or France or Germany, it's five. If you live in Denmark, it's six. If you live in Japan, it's seven. If you live in Greece, it's nine. If you live in Canada, it's ten. Well, why do I need to eat more fruit and veg if I travel to a different country in the world? Well, it's because the governments of different countries have made decisions on what they think their population can cope with. And our government doesn't have a lot of confidence in our (laughs) healthy eating. So they've gone for the minimum. But God's word, God's teaching is not like that. God's teaching is true. He doesn't kind of dumb it down for the British. God, his his teaching doesn't change. So it's it's not that he's going to have to, uh, this is his best guess at the moment, but he's going to have to update it or adapt it in the light of new information that comes uh, from research that human beings have done and we need to remember that at the moment because there are constant pressure for us to change or adapt to what God has said because human beings have changed their minds about things now God's word is true and it endures forever which means that we can depend on it we can rely on it we can base our lives on this and because it's true and because it brings joy Because this is really the best way to live, trusting in Jesus, following Jesus, it is better than gold. It's better, not just better than gold, it's better than fine gold. It's not just sweeter than honey, it's sweeter than the drippings of the honeycomb, which might not sound that attractive if you're not that into honey, but honey in in the ancient world was the sweetest thing that people would have uh, available to them. It's kind of like the, the, the chocolate of the day. God's word is more valuable than lots of money, and it's more to be desired, it's more, it's more tasty than the finest chocolate. Now, we have to admit, we don't often think of rules like this. Verse 9 says, the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. We don't often think have a positive idea of teachings, people telling us how to live. Surely, freedom means we just do whatever we like. But actually, that's not the case, is it? I have a, a electric piano in my house. I can sit down at that. I have complete freedom to hit any of the keys I want in any order I want. But it just makes a noise. That's not really freedom at all. If I could learn, which I haven't, but if I could learn the combinations of keys and the right order to say, if I could learn how to follow the instructions on a piece of music, well, then I would know true freedom in being able to play the piano. It's the same when I go swimming. I can splash around enough to get from one end to the other and do laps, but I see others who know the rules, who've been trained, who can swim properly, and they have a freedom that I don't have. And God's word, God's teaching is there to give us that freedom in life, that joy of living the best way, of living in light of God's command, of living uh, as his children. So let me ask you, do you desire to live God's way, to follow his commands? Is this more desirable to you? than lots of money? Is this sweeter to you than honey, than chocolate? 
Do you recognize um, that there is great reward in following God's way, verse 11? If we're going to do that, we have to trust. We have to trust God. We have to trust that God is good. We have to trust that he is morally good, that he wouldn't give us any commands that that are wrong or evil. But not just that, that that he wishes our happiness, that he wishes our joy. 2 Timothy talks about how God has given everything as a gift to us for us to enjoy. Do we believe that? Do we get that? That God is good, that he wants what is good for us, that his teaching to us is good. And do we trust that his word is true? And of course, we need to recognize that that word centers on our Lord Jesus, on knowing him, on loving him, on following him. He is at the center of that. So how can you know God's word better? How can you make sure that you are reading it? And if you find that hard, then that really that will require more perseverance. But it's so important. We need to read it so that we can live it. Or are there areas of things that you already know, but you're not actually putting into practice? Are there things where you, where you know, God wants me to live this way, and I've been resisting that because I know that will be hard? Well, we need to trust that this is better than uh, gold, better than honey. This is the way that God has told us to live. It is the right, it is the good way. Hear God's word. Then thirdly, ask God's forgiveness, verses 12 to 14. Given the goodness of God's creation, given that he's he's shown his power in creation, given the goodness of his word, why on earth would humans ever stray from it? And yet we do, ever since Adam and Eve strayed from the good commands that God had given them, the good world that he had given them. Human beings have fallen. It's the mystery of living as fallen human beings. And the psalmist says, who can discern his errors? Or or perhaps who can understand his errors? But the psalmist knows this is the case. And so he is concerned um, that he might end up, that there is a danger of great transgression. He says at the end of verse 13, talks about great transgression. He knows that humans deny and suppress the truth of God's glory and creation. He knows that we have a tendency to, to... pervert God's teaching, to to twist it, to make it joyless, a tendency to to twist it for our own ends, a tendency sometimes to to become legalist and focus on commands that we think we can obey and just ignore the other ones and judge others who don't obey the ones that we obey. He knows that our tendency is to twist and depart from it and he's concerned about great transgression. He's concerned about just turning away altogether from the Lord. And he recognizes that that can happen in three stages. It starts, verse 12, with hidden faults. Things we, we just don't see. Other people might see them in us, but we just don't see. Hidden faults that we don't see, so we don't do anything about. And then it moves on, verse 13, to presumptuous sins, deliberate sins, deliberate ways that we disobey God. And that then results in great transgression. And so David prays in response to God's glory shown in creation, in response to the teachings of his word, David prays. He prays that God will declare him innocent from hidden faults. He knows he has them. He prays that God will declare him innocent from them, which is a bit of a problem because how can, how can a just God declare David innocent from things that he's done wrong? 
And you find the answer partly through the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, but for us, we find the answer in Jesus. As we pray this psalm, we are asking God to forgive us because Jesus has taken the punishment for us. Jesus has uh, dealt with our sin so that we can be declared innocent from hidden faults. And then David prays, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. This is, of course, what Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Keep us from deliberately sinning against you. It's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus doesn't pray for us to, be, to stand firm or encourage us to pray that we'll stand firm in temptation, but rather that he will we'll just not have to face temptation. We won't be led into temptation in the first place. The implication is that we will struggle to stand in the face of temptation. Therefore, it's better to avoid it altogether. Temptation isn't an excuse for sin. And if we find ourselves in a situation of temptation, we do need to stand, but better to just avoid it altogether. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Keep us back from presumptuous sins. And so that we will not be, uh, that we, we'll be blameless and innocent of great transgression, so that we won't turn away from the Lord altogether. God is wonderful in his glory. His word is to be desired more than gold and honey, but we need to turn to him as our rock and our redeemer to live it out. We need to turn to our redeemer for forgiveness. We need to ask our rock for power by his spirit to keep us from temptation. Ask God's forgiveness. So can I encourage you this morning as we are looking at this psalm to commit again to this God to worship him for his glory, to eagerly desire his word, not the literature, but the actual doing of it, the content of it, and to depend on him for his forgiveness. Let's commit again to him. Let's pray. Lord, may the words of our mouths, the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight. Father, as we think through this psalm, Please, will you help us to see again your glory, to be filled with praise and awe and wonder at you, to be humbled as we see uh, your majesty in creation. Please, Father, will you help us to eagerly desire your teaching, to trust it, to live it out, to know the joy that comes from living it out. Please, Father, will you help us to see if there are areas where we know your words, but we're not doing it. Please, Father, will you give us that desire to keep finding out more, to keep coming back so that we can uh, live for you and love you. And, Father, we do pray that you will forgive us for our hidden faults. We do pray, Father, that you will keep us from deliberately turning against you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.